65,498 square miles. We've got a lot to cover, so let's get to it. This is Spanning the State. Here's your host, Kristen Bry. Hello, hello, and welcome to the inaugural episode of Spanning the State. I am indeed your host, Kristen Bry, and I am so happy to be back on the air at WTMJ. For longtime listeners, you may remember when I initially made my debut on WTMJ on Steve Scafidi's show, where I was a regular guest for about a year and a half, and then I started being a fill-in host, and then I was in the 8 o'clock hour with Eric and Vince two years ago, which I can't believe that went by so quickly when Vince first started, and now I am back hosting Spanning the State, and I am honored and humbled to be doing this show in this time slot. I was reflecting as this past month has flown by, getting prepared for this show, and it's been about, next month will be the four-year anniversary of me moving back to Wisconsin. Uh, Thanks to COVID, as many people, my life was upended, and I made the decision to move back to Wisconsin, and it was by far and away the best decision I've ever made both for my professional life and my personal life and i love this state and i could not be more excited to be doing a show that highlights the stories from around the state and stories that affect the whole state and so i'm hoping to do all of all of you justice by being able to unearth stories that we may not have heard otherwise in southeast wisconsin celebrate some of our history make you feel good, maybe have you learned something that you didn't think about before. But I'm not going to be doing it by myself, even though for now it's just my name on the show. That is not going to be the case every day. I'm going to have a rotating cast of characters, some familiar voices join me each day. Steve Scafidi is going to be here tomorrow. Eric Bilstad's going to be here on Wednesday. We're going to have some voices of people who don't currently work in radio, though maybe they should because they're very good. And today, to start the first show... I am joined by the one, the only, my boss, Mike Spaulding. <laughs> That's what everyone so loves better, to hear. I better show do one. well. No, we're very excited. We're very excited for the show. We're very excited to have you uh, back on the WTMJ team. And it, the show's ambitious, I think. It's a little, it's less, it's more vague than some of the other shows as far as what do we want this to be. It can be anything, but it can't be everything. And so when you guys first explained what it was was what your vision of it was to me i was all in because i think it is a lot of what i've tried to do whether it's my social media content whether it was my past show of how do you infuse fun into some of these stories that are a little bit more complicated that are a little bit more boring shall i say when it comes to state policy education policy yes meeting but also celebrating all things Wisconsin, celebrating the fun stories from each corner, celebrating our history and doing it all with some levity. Yeah, I mean, we're certainly not the biggest state in Wisconsin, but we are, I think, and honestly saying this, one of the more diverse states. If you look at, you know, a Milwaukee and then compare it to what a Chippewa Falls looks like and the issues that they deal with and heck, even the temperatures and like the weather is going to be different. So being able to highlight what we are is an entire state by going firsthand to the communities in which those stories are being told is really important. And one of the reasons that I'm really excited to be able to do that, we cover the news. You just heard why I gave the newscast. 
You heard Eric and Jessica doing midday news. You hear them in the morning and you hear them in the afternoon. But what we don't have on TMJ currently up until four minutes ago was an opportunity for us to like expand some of those stories mm-hmm. and bring you there. Like as a fan, as a listener, what we want to do is be able to bring you there. And if we're doing a story about water pollution or whatever it is, you hear from people who live in that community and not just a 30 second news story. Absolutely. And taking the time to talk about some of the, the, the topics that keep coming up, and one of which is what we're going to tackle today, is the value of higher education. And I think we've seen the stories of less and less people going to university. You know, most, most universities in Wisconsin have seen a decline in enrollment. The UW system has multiple satellite campuses that have closed over the last year. I think just as last week, Concordia University is the latest to announce cuts because of fiscal challenges. And so there's this idea that maybe it's not worth it because we know how much student debt burdens people. And so we wanted to really jump into that topic right from the get-go. And so our first guest coming up next is going to be Mark Sommerhauser from Wisconsin Policy Forum, who they recently, in this earlier this month, did a report to kind of look at what is the job landscape for the rest of the decade and how many of those jobs pay over $50,000 a year and how many of those jobs will require an advanced degree. And so really kind of wanting to jump into how much is that investment worth it because of long-term earnings while still knowing that the debt is there. And so in the second hour, we're going to continue on the topic and talk to an expert on kind of explaining how we got to the point where debt is this out of control. Well, I think that's the question, right? Is the how did we get to this How point we get here? where people just accept every year it's 15000 a semester? Well, now it's 17000 a semester. Well, now it's $22,000 a semester. So I think going back in time is really important to be able to look at what actions were taken to, to bring us to this point to where, and we're, we're, it's not just college, right? Like we're talking about the future of this country in both the workforce, in politics, and all those things. When you're talking about a, a giant, cluster of people in younger generations who don't see college as worth it. So what do we look like long term? Absolutely. All right. Well, we are going to be coming back with Mark Sommerhauser to talk about what the value of higher education is in Wisconsin currently. Stay with us. This is WTMJ on Spanning the State. Welcome back to Spanning the State. I'm your host, Kristen Bry, along with Mike Spaulding here with me today on our first day of the WTMJ new lineup. And we're going to dive right into our first uh, with our first guest, because the value of college is something that people, I think, feel passionately about. There's so much debate over what to do with student debt. There's so much debate over whether or not going to college is even worth it anymore. We hear stories about how people feel like they can probably it's not worth the investment anymore because it's so expensive. And are the jobs really paying what the value of your education is worth? And so earlier this month, Wisconsin Policy Forum published a report where they looked at Wisconsin jobs and the outlook for the rest of this decade through 2030. And of those jobs, how many of them made over 50K, over 75K, and how many of those required a degree? And so joining us now from Wisconsin Policy Forum is Mark Summerhauser. How are you doing, Mark? I'm doing great, Kristen. Thank you for having me on. I'm so excited to have you uh, on one of our very first guests on our new on the debut show. show. I hope you're not as I hope yeah. you're not nervous. 
I'm feeling okay. I'm feeling okay. I'm just glad to be part of it. Absolutely. Well, thank you for joining us. So I saw this published earlier this month. And why was this a topic that was important for you guys to investigate? Yeah. So I think you really touched on a big part of it in your intro. Um, I, you know, I think we have been aware that there's been a lot of debate a lot, of, a lot of takes out there for many years, yep. but really, I would say, intensifying even more so recently about what is the value of higher education and a college degree in the actual job market, and how much does a college degree actually improve one's prospects to get a good-paying job. And we, you know, as we will often do with a topic at the forum, we wanted to hopefully, hopefully bring a little more light, maybe a little less heat <laughs> to the debate by saying, well, let's take a look at what data that we have available that's publicly available data and try to, uh, you know, shed some light on this. I I think everybody understands that part of what's been fueling this debate has been things like rising costs of college tuition, rising levels of student debt, which kind of go hand in hand, obviously. But also there's, uh, you know, to some extent, a broader cultural and political divide about college and college campuses Mm -hmm. um, that I think has been part of this as well. Uh, And so, uh, we wanted to, you know, take a look at whatever data we could obtain uh, that was publicly available and kind of hopefully use that to shed some light on the question. Well, Mark, a couple of numbers that really stuck out to me on the uh, the research that you did. 74% of the jobs to open in Wisconsin uh, each year between 2020 and 2030 are going to be these that require uh, a a advanced, not advanced degree, a secondary education. But the number of those jobs, when you look at the total number that are going to be opening is not high. So it just feels like there's going to be direct, real high competition for some of these higher paying jobs. Yeah, that's possible. Of course, a lot of it's going to depend on, you know, the supply of people that are coming out of uh, uh, either high school or college that have the, the credentials, you know, to, to be able to actually compete for those jobs. But yeah, that that's certainly the case. And we can talk a little bit about both the data that we used and kind of some of our key findings. But um, yeah, I think that's I think that's accurate. Yeah, let's actually rewind for a second. So what was the publicly available data that you looked at? Sure. So we, uh, you know, we typically do use public data when we do our uh, analyses here for at the forum. And so in this case, we're using uh, data from the state. This was from the State Department of Workforce Development. Um, Periodically, they do long term. So 10 year projections for the state and different regions within the state uh, to kind of look at job openings, projected job openings across all the different, the various professions and occupations. Um, They're pulling actually federal data from the U.S. Bureau of Labor Statistics to do kind of a Wisconsin-specific analysis. And uh, they also have some economists within uh, the department that kind of review these projections before they're put out. Um, But they give us a sense uh, of kind of what job openings are going to look like over the next 10-year period. Uh, and that was kind of what we used as the foundation for our report. And so what were the major findings of the report? Yeah, so just to go through those very quickly, um, you know, the vast majority actually of job openings, so we're looking, by the way, at job openings between uh, 2020, which is when these were put out, and 2030, so basically the decade that we're in now. Uh, and what, what we're seeing from those projections is that nearly three-quarters of a little more than 350,000 jobs projected to open each year in Wisconsin during that period actually are in occupations that 
did not require a college degree or credential, at least as of 2020 when these projections were put out. Most of those simply require um, just a high school diploma. Um, but when we kind of look at um, you know, the job openings that are for somewhat higher paying occupations. So we had a couple of thresholds. I think you maybe mentioned them in the intro that we set out. Um, the first being jobs that pay a median wage of 50000 or above per year. And the second being those that pay a median wage of 75000 or above per year. A little more than three-quarters of the projected job openings between uh, for this decade, between 2020 and 2030, are going to be uh, in jobs that would pay a median wage of 50000 or above, when we kind of narrow our focus just to those higher-paying jobs, then things that, that's where I think this comes into focus a little bit because we do see that more than half, about 58%, so close to 60% of those projected job openings in the higher-paying occupations will be in occupations that typically do require uh, either a bachelor's or advanced degree uh, for entry. So, um, you know, the other thing to think about here, I think, is that most of these job openings uh, are coming about because somebody either um, leaves to take a different job or they retire from their job. When we narrow our focus even further and we kind of just look at jobs that are projected to be actually newly created, right? So the job opening comes not because somebody left or retired, but because it's actually a newly created job. Um, that's where we really see it even kind of more starkly, nearly 70% of those uh newly created jobs in the higher paying occupations, 50,000 or above median wage, nearly 70% of those would require some kind of a bachelor's degree or, or higher. Got so, it. The, the, so the new, the new higher paying jobs, newly created ones are even more likely to, to require a degree than those that already uh, exist. All right. Well, when we come back, I want to dive a little bit deeper into what those, the, the, top jobs as far as growth look like in Wisconsin, which ones will require a degree, which ones won't. Our guest is Mark Summerhauser from Wisconsin Policy Forum. You're listening to Spanning the State on WTMJ. Welcome back to Spanning the State. I am your host, Kristen Bry, along with Mike Bilstad, and we are talking to Mark Summerhauser from Wisconsin Policy Forum on their recent report on the value of higher education. And we only have a couple more minutes with you, Mark, so I wanted to make sure that we dive right into when you looked at the job openings in Wisconsin that are projected for the rest of this decade that do have an annual salary of $50,000 or more, what were some of those jobs? Yeah, so um, obviously there's some complication in kind of categorizing these jobs. So, uh, you know, you could obviously quibble with the way DWD does it, but we kind of put together a top 10 list based on the DWD uh, uh, categorizations. And what we see top of that list actually is registered nurses. Mm. That's probably not going to come as a surprise to anybody. I think everybody knows that they're tremendously in demand anywhere you go in the country. Um, some of the other ones that are uh, on our top 10 list software developers, operations managers, accountants, and actually elementary school teachers. Um, those are the ones that do require a bachelor's degree. Now, it's worth noting five of the ten on our top list do not actually require college degrees, and those uh, are uh, kind of going from top to bottom here. Sales representatives, uh, agricultural managers, carpenters, supervisors of workers in production operating, and uh, as well as op office and administrative support. So those are kind of the, the ones that have the most openings in those 50,000 and above those higher paying occupations. And so as far as what people should take away from the findings of this report, it, it's not you're not saying that everyone college still isn't for everyone, but 
knowing this, knowing what the job projections look like, knowing which jobs will require uh, some sort of advanced degree, whether that's two years or four years, what do you want parents, guidance counselors, current high school students to take away with this information? Yeah, I mean, I think you nailed it, Kristen. It's, it's obviously true that a college degree is not the right course for everybody to take. Um, it's really just a cost-benefit calculus for each individual when they're considering whether college is the right fit for them. You know, they have to weigh the costs and the benefits, and those are going to be different for every individual. Um, what I think these data do show is that for many, you know, young Wisconsinites in the years to come, that a college degree and higher education are going to hold value and you know, are going to position them potentially, uh, you know, to do a little better in the job market. But, you know, important caveats there, uh, you know, a lot does depend on, uh, you know, how a person goes about getting a degree, uh, whether they incur debt and how much, what fields of study they pursue, uh, you know, and how much, how, how relevant those are to the job market. And then obviously the other piece is completing your studies once you start. Uh, because if you start, especially at a four-year school, it's really important that you finish and you come away with a degree. Uh, otherwise, you can be incurring debt and a lot of costs without actually coming away with that credential that's going to be very helpful to you, hopefully, in the job market. Absolutely. And I think that's part of the discussion that we're trying to have and going to have going on into our second hour today is if we know that the return on investment is there, which we can see there is over the life over your lifetime going to college, most people see higher earnings, but it's still justifying and understanding that big obstacle of so such a high cost, especially if you're going out of state, especially if you're going to a private institution. So what are the solutions that our people are proposing to really make that cost more attainable? And so thank you so much for being our very first guest, Mark Summerhauser. We're excited to have you on because the work you all do at Wisconsin Policy Forum is so interesting to me, and I love to highlight it and, and break it down for our listeners. Well, thank you, Kristen. I'm honored to be part of it. All right. Well, when we come back after the news, which campus, which UW campus do you think is the most affordable? Shoot me your guesses at the WTMJ talk and text line 855-616-1620. And now, Citing Unlimited WTMJ news time is 1.30. Welcome back to Spanning the State. I am your host, Kristen Bry, along with Mike uh, Mike Spaulding. I almost called you Mike Bilstead. You did uh, call me Mike Bilstead earlier, but that's okay. Did I really? Yeah. That's all right. I've worked with Eric for a long time. Do you two get it confused for each other a lot? I wish I could say yes, but no. <laughs> usually they don't see me and think, now there's Eric Bilstead. No. Usually it's, uh, or he would be more offended, I think, than I would be more offended. Really? But- I don't know. I don't know. Sorry we I don't. called you Mike. Mike's That's status. right. We, you know <laughs> what? Other funny. than my family, Eric is probably the person I spent the most uh, time with over the past eight years of working here. So it's all right. Well, there you go. All right. Well, following up on our conversation about the cost of college, I posed this question. Which of the UW campuses is the most affordable? Because they do not, in fact, cost the same. I think we all know that UW-Madison is the most expensive, but there's 13 locations spread across the state. And so just as a reminder, so everyone knows, there's UW-Stout, Eau Claire, Platteville, Platteville, Stevens Point, Superior, River Falls, Green Bay, Whitewater, Oshkosh, and Parkside. Now, we asked you on the WTMJ talk and text line, 855-616-1620, what you thought, which campus you thought was the most affordable. Spalding. Who, did we get anyone? Uh, yeah, 
Dave from uh, Dave says he thinks that Whitewater is the most affordable. Okay. While UW Milwaukee Waukesha, someone says, is where my kids got their start. Thinks it's the best value. I don't know if that factors into your expensiveness or not, but uh, you got one on the board for Whitewater, which is okay. where I would go. Also, I think is the most uh, affordable. I think so. I think I go White. I think I go Whitewater one, River Falls, Stevens Point Stout would be my top four. Your top four. All right. In fact, Whitewater is third. All right. It's on the board. I'll take it on the board. UW Parkside is the most affordable. Uh, that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Parks- that one snuck in there. Parkside uh, in-state tuition is $7,467 per year, and they have an 89% acceptance rate. But that's obviously Parkside on the just south of us in Kenosha. And besides Madison... You want to guess which one is the most expensive? I'm going to go UW Oshkosh. I'm going to go Oshkosh. No. Dang it. Uh, you want to get Superior? Guess? Stevens Point. No. All right. I don't know. I have no idea. Stout. Really? It's $10,142 per year. What is, uh, what's Madison look like? Do you have those numbers in front of you? Madison, uh, you want to guess what it is for... Out of state residents, UW Madison right now? $27,000. That's close to what it is for in state. It's higher than, is it 30 plus? Yes. A semester? A year, sorry. A year, a year, a year sorry. Okay, a uh, year. I'd go uh, f- uh, 43. Higher. 47. Higher. 50. It's, Two- it's 59,000. 59,000? For, out, for out of state residents each year for a full year. I'm so excited to talk to our guests in the two o'clock hour. It's, How did lot. we get to this point? That's where a lot. Because and so for undergraduate tuition and expenses uh, are approaching twenty nine thousand dollars for residents at Madison, and n- nearly double that for for out of state. And it, one of the reasons I want to talk about this is because all these satellite, not satellite campuses, these uh, campuses outside of Madison are doing more to get more students in. So UWM recently announced that NPS students get automatic admission. Uh, actually, even just as this uh, this morning, UW-Green Bay announced the same program with the Howard Suamico School District that graduates from 2024 are going to have automatic admission into UW-Green Bay, which is huge news as far as not having to go through the admissions process. But you still have to pay for it, obviously, between Pell Grants and FAFSA and all of the things that even a 7000 to 10000 a year fees and tuition is still a lot of money for a lot of people. You no, know, it absolutely is. And I think when you talk about barrier to entry, that's that's a giant sticker price, even on the low end for an 18-year-old or a 17-year-old and their family to be staring at wondering, you know, you get all this talk about how high student loan payments are on the back end when you're out and you collect that $7,000 over four years or five years, because not as many students graduate in four years than you would think that they do. Uh to be able to pay back. So I'm really interested in talking next hour about the affordability and kind of how we ended up getting to the point that we're at because $59,000 a year is extreme. It seems extreme. extreme. And again, our guest is going to be Sarah Goldrick Rabb, who is a former UW professor and author of Paying the Price, College Costs, Financial Aid, and Betrayal of the American Dream. She'll be joining us at 2.15. And for now, we will be coming back. To, there's an election tomorrow. So Robin, uh, Adam Roberts is going to be joining us. Uh, the time is 1.40. You're listening to Spanning the State on WTMJ.
Welcome back to Spanning the State. I am Kristen Bry. Big news out of Madison for anyone who has been following the redistricting map saga that some say maybe started as far back as t- 2011. But today we have new maps. Joining us to tell us more details of what's been happening in Madison today is WTMJ's Adam Roberts. Adam. Well, Kristen, yes, indeed. A historic day. Evers started that off when he took the podium earlier this morning. This is an important day and historic day for our state and for every person who calls Wisconsin home. So we've obviously been talking about this issue ad nauseum for months on end, redistricting, changing maps. Will this proposal go? What about the other ones? What happens next? Well, now we know. Uh, Governor Evers taking to the podium today to announce that he would put pen to paper on his version of the maps, which um, notably, as we were have been mentioning previously, was an amendment to that proposal. Largely, it got passed based on what he wanted the maps to be. But there was the when will they take effect question mm-hmm. that had yet to be answered. And so for basically the last couple of weeks, we had been talking about, OK, the amendment to the proposal is that they will not take effect until November. So any sort of special election that you might encounter on your ballot between now and the general election later this fall would be using the old map system, and thus the incumbents would be where they will be. However, when he took the podium today, some interesting comments during the presser from Governor Evers. These maps will take effect immediately after publication and will be in place for the fall elections, providing certainty for candidates and campaigns. I will also be asking the Wisconsin Supreme Court to clarify that these maps will be in place for any special elections that occur between now and the fall. So there's the big question. And that's important because of uh, Lena Taylor's appointment to being a circuit court judge, correct? Correct. That's right. So the big question now is the when. And it's interesting that the whole reason that the Republican legislature and Senate gave the thumbs up to these maps was to circumvent this having to go through the state Supreme Court, deciding, all right, well, we get a worse deal if it went through there. Let's just sign this, get it to his desk, and let the cards fall where they may. This makes it seem like the state Supreme Court may still have a role in the rollout, if you will, of these maps after all. All right, so this story is not actually done yet. No, it is not. (laughs) We did hear the, yeah, let's go in the background, but uh, there is more to this story still that we will obviously be following closely. And this is interesting to me because technically, this is the two parties coming to an agreement. It would be, it would seem to be the case of bipartisanship, which is when you talk about our purple state, something that seems to be oftentimes far and few between. And on this issue, it really seemed like the sides were completely it's. I mean, we had multiple proposals from one party and one from another party. So it seems like of all the issues in the state where bipartisanship would not come into play. This is one where it kind of seemed a little bit at least like it has. All right, you were paying close attention to the press conference this morning. We heard the cheers. We did. It sounded yep. very excited. Mm-hmm. Was it more of an excited because, yay, we're moving forward, or did it seem like a relief, like there was a weight taken off people's shoulders? Because they were so much more docile when they signed the American Family Field Brewers Agreement, oh, which absolutely. you think would be a celebratory moment. Hmm. They did not do anything. It was just like a thumbs up, maybe photo op, let's do it. This one, they it, it was like a cheer. Like they just won the NBA championship or something like that. The audio going off our charts here on some of those cuts at WTMJ. Yeah, it seemed like there was a little bit of a mix, I would say, in my instant analysis of, 
yes, we're supporting the governor getting this signed. This is his proposal. But also, finally, this is actually seeing some forward momentum. The one that stuck out to me, I think, was... These maps reflect the will of the people. Let's ride. Let's ride. Do we know who Let's Ride it? Do we know who that was? I think Evers Country Let's Ride it. (laughs) All right. Well, when we come back, there are... A reminder, there is an election tomorrow. One, uh, one, our first of four elections for this year is tomorrow. Now, not everyone always has races that they're, they're voting in. This is always a weird election to go tell people to remind them to vote because sometimes people don't have a primary in nonpartisan spring, uh, spring elections. But when we come back, Adam Roberts will still be here. He's going to tell us about some of the Milwaukee races, a Kenosha race. So stay with us. This is Spanning the State on WTMJ. Welcome back to Spanning the State. I am your host, Kristen Bry, along with Mike Spaulding. And we wanted to remind you that tomorrow is Election Day, the first of four for this year. And tomorrow is the primary election. So if there is more than two candidates in any local race in your area, you want to make sure to get out and vote tomorrow. And to have more about some of the more interesting races in southeast Wisconsin is WTMJ's Adam Roberts. Well, Kristen, uh, the one that sticks out to me is, as we head to the polls tomorrow, the mayoral race in Milwaukee. If you can believe it, it's been now two years since Milwaukee Mayor Cavalier Johnson assumed the throne, if you will, from longtime Milwaukee Mayor Tom Barrett. And so he's making a first-time defense of that position. Spoke with him. He tells WTMJ. In short, yes, I think we're headed in the right direction. Still got a lot of work to do. I'm happy to be the cheerleader to do that work and happy to be the main person at the head of city government doing that. But I think certainly headed in the right direction. So a couple of challengers to Mayor Johnson for this upcoming cycle, and they both have a history of running in this particular race. This is not the first rodeo for either of the two candidates who will be running against him. One, you may recall from the previous election cycle where there were seven candidates running for that open seat. Uh, One of them, Aisha Griffin, paralegal, local Milwaukee activist, and she has her hat in a lot of races. She's not only running for mayor, She's also running against David Crowley in spring for Milwaukee County Executive. Alderman Jonathan Brostoff in D3. Aisha's all over the place. Sounds like it. I think that the people want change. I am the change. And I can readily identify with most of the issues that the people are facing in this community. And the other challenger to Mayor Johnson is another former mayoral candidate from 2020 who ran against Mayor Barrett in that primary. And that would be the founder of the Wisconsin God Squad and Kingdom Prep Lutheran head basketball coach David King. I think people want a mayor that will look after them, making sure that they're taken care of. When you look at the current administration, the people are not being taken care of. So again, it's a three-horse race in the primary. I think this is one that a lot of people maybe overlooked just because it's only been a couple of years. And, you know, it's in a lot of these races, dethroning the incumbent is very challenging, but it is still a race, and the city of Milwaukee will be on everyone's ballot as a citywide election. And so getting outside of Milwaukee, what are some of the other races for our wider listeners, our wider area listeners that they should be aware of? So in addition to your local alder person who may be on the ballot, which you can check more specifically, we have a guide at WTMJ.com for all of that. One that sticks out to me is in Waterford in Racine County and the district of which kind of encompasses that western portion of the county and then kind of clips into Waukesha County as well. There's a pretty big school referendum coming up, Kristen and Mike. $91 million is the ask. This is not the first time this referendum has been up for a vote, uh, but the high school 
It, it's repair time, if you will. And so the question is before the voters who have a lot of thoughts on that issue. If you look above us, there's not a single fire sprinkler head in this entire building. I just don't think that uh, we need all the improvements that they're talking about. The gym has bucket tanging, catching leaks, and I vote yes for the referendum. So again, this is not the first time that this vote has been up for debate in Waterford. I think in 2020, and then the uh, cycle before that, it was the ask was 20 million, and both of those votes failed. Well, now we be, we've more than quadrupled that wow. ask. So that's coming up in Waterford, Wisconsin. And then down the road in Kenosha, I just mentioned Milwaukee Mayor uh, Kevlar Johnson running for re-election. There's another pretty big mayoral election coming up in Kenosha where John Adamarian, who has been uh, on multiple different to- multiple different, uh, I'm struggling with the word here. He's been mayor multiple times in the city and most recently uh, during the last few years. He has filed a declaration of non-candidacy, which means that seat's wide open and a lot of people have answered that call Nine candidates are vying for the post. So voters in Kenosha, you're going to have to choose between nine candidates. And again, we have a full guide to each of those candidates available at WTMJ.com. You know, Adam, before before you get out of here, the uh, the school referendum is, is really interesting to me. Mm-hmm. We see them more and more often. And in 2020, you mentioned that it was up for a vote then. It failed by 20 total votes. Wow. Is this the only referendum that you are keeping an eye on, or are other districts doing something similar? So there are others, obviously not to the tune of $91 million, but I believe uh, in the Wilmot School District, also in Kenosha County, there is a $7.5 million referendum there. And then in Burlington, Wisconsin, in Racine County, $11 million for operational and maintenance costs is up for a vote as well. And is there a difference between which school referendums are tomorrow versus the april 2nd election uh so by my understanding um that is a very good question i will thoroughly admit that i'm not exactly sure i do know that there are other ballot specific school items that will be up for a vote uh tomorrow and that's predominantly school board positions of which usually they're looking for two candidates but as far as school referendum measures specifically that is a very good question as to what determines we will find out and mm-hmm. we will come back with that answer all right what do people need to bring what do people need to know for them to vote tomorrow so the deadline for any sort of absentee ballot other than if you are in a hospital you can still have a ballot brought to your hospital bed or your room in the hospital until 5 p.m. But other than that, for everyone else, that has passed. So the only way, if you are not already registered at your local polling place, is to register day of. And so what you need to bring with you, two things, government-issued ID with your name and also some sort of proof of residency. Uh, when I moved to Milwaukee for my first election, I used a utility bill from We Energies. You can also use a phone bill, anything that is officially issued to you that has that address listed in writing. All right. Well... Go vote. Check out myvote.wi.gov. You can check out what's on your ballot tomorrow. And when we come back in the next hour, a little bit more about how we got here when it comes to student debt. I am Kristen Bry. This is Spanning the State on WTMJ.